Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. All right, we've been talking about church of late, and I just want to give you the brief highlights real so that we just all on the same page. We have already covered what Jesus meant when he said, I will build my church in Matthew 16, 18, and he used the word ecclesia. And we now know what ecclesia means. It's the called out ones who are called out to demonstrate and to govern, to govern uh, through another kingdom that works not from the outside in through laws and control, but from the inside out. God is still in the business of reintroducing the world back to himself. Everything that was lost from the fall and all the deception that's taken place through that, God is reintroducing us to himself, the, the, the version of him that is true and that is right and that is not perverted through the lies of the enemy. And his way of doing this primarily today is through you and me, the church, the church of Jesus, is still his chosen arm to reintroduce and to show the world what he is like and what he looks like. And so there's a few things that God does with us when we become part of this body called the church, when we give our hearts to Jesus and we say, Lord, you you be our Lord. And the first one is the work of sanctification. We spoke about that. He takes us out from the world's way of thinking, the world's way of doing things, and he brings us into a new way of thinking, a new ethos, a new value system by which and through which we live our lives, that we may become the very expression of the kingdom of God here in the earth. You see, Jesus didn't come so that we can look like him. He came so that we could be like him. I think that's really the work of sanctification. It's not just behavior modification. It's a real change in the depths of our hearts to become who it is that Jesus has made us to be. And he works to transform us not just what we do. We then looked last week at the the next thing that God does when we become part of this family or the church is we are made part of a family. He places the solitary in families. He gives us a home, relationships in which we can find belonging, in which we can find unconditional love. That is a place of safety where there's a structure, where where, where the roles and responsibilities of each one is clear, And also, it's a place of character development because we come into contact with brothers and sisters who are on the same journey to become more like Christ, but like us, haven't arrived yet. And we say things and we do things and we're irresponsible with ourselves and with other people's emotions. And sometimes we act and we behave not out of the wholeness that Jesus has made us to be, but we still sometimes behave out of our brokenness, out of our insecurities. We hide and we withhold and we distance ourselves, and at other times we overpower and impose ourselves. This is life in the church. It's the reality of life in the church. And when we know that, and we understand, and we don't have an expectation that people should be perfect, our hearts are able to, with grace, wrap around them, warts and all, as they say. Love them for who they are, and also be loved for who we are as we are. And that doesn't mean, that doesn't negate anything concerning the work of sanctification. That work needs to be ongoing. But God brings us to a place 
in His body. And He sets us in His body on purpose for a purpose that is bigger than ourselves. In other words, we get to belong to something that is bigger than ourselves and to live for something and to contribute to something that is synergistically far bigger than anything we could manage with our own lives. But also, we find our own unique purpose and identity in the context of that. And like I said last week, this understanding that God places us in churches is, is, needs to be understood in the right way, that He doesn't put us into organizations. He doesn't put us into uh, structures. He puts us into relationships. He puts us into relationships with those who carry what we need and also who need what we carry. And we have beautiful relationships that those can lead us and take us beyond where we could go ourselves. And in the process, we can bless and serve others through the gifts and the personality that God has given to each and every one of us. And if we read the book of 1 Corinthians, we look at chapter 12, where Paul compared the church to a body, a physical body, how where everything is working as it should, and there is order, the body is, is blessed. There's no pain. You can do what you're supposed to do. You celebrate your health and your fitness. But when a part of the body is not working properly, the whole body suffers. And the church is the same. When there's parts of us that are not working properly, when there's parts of us that are in pain, the whole body is robbed of that which is now being isolated because of what it's, it's, it's feeling. And this is why the primary area that the enemy attacks within the church is this area of relationships. He seeks to dislocate people. He seeks to hurt people. He seeks to, to bring offenses between people so that we ultimately dislocate ourselves. He seeks to work in that arena of our insecurities to stop the unity that allows the life and the lifeblood of Jesus to flow. And when we're aware of that, we can cooperate with the Spirit. Jesus put it this way. He says, By this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. He didn't say that you walk in perfection. It's interesting to note that. He said that you have love one for another. And it's in the context of this and this understanding that we arrive at the final point. I want to round out this teaching series today of what it means to be the church and that's what I want to discuss today. We've spoken about what a church is, so we understand what we are in it. The work that goes on within our hearts and, and the work that goes on amongst us. But there's a work that comes from us. And the third point that I want to talk about is that our understanding needs of the church, of what it means to be a member of the church, needs to include the principle of the sowing of sons and daughters. What do I mean? What I'm alluding to here is a parable that Jesus spoke in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. And it's called the, the parable of the wheat and the tares. And it goes more or less like this, that uh, there was a farmer who went out and he sowed good seed into the soil. Uh, but the enemy came along and he sowed tares, which are like weeds. And tares, tares look a lot like wheat, uh, but at the end of the day, once they come to harvest, you'll find the tares are, are very shallow husks. They don't, they don't have a seed or a wheat seed in them, and so they tend to stand up proud, whereas the wheat, once it comes to maturity, it, it hangs down because it becomes heavy. But you can't, it's hard to tell the difference when they're growing. And so the servants came to the farmer and they said, look, somebody has gone and thrown, sown wheat in, or tares amongst the wheat. Should we go and pull it up? He says, no, because if you pull it up, you are going to take the, 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 the wheat out with it and you'll ruin the whole crop. Wait, 
And when it comes to the time of the harvest, we'll be able to see what is what. We'll be able to separate the wheat from, from the tares. And the parable goes about how at the end of the time, uh, the angels will come and they will, they will bring in the harvest. And they at that time will separate the sons of the kingdom versus the sons of the enemy. But Jesus' disciples come to him and they, they've heard this parable of the wheat and the tares now. And they say to him, can you explain what you're talking about here? And this is the explanation Jesus gives. He says, uh, Matthew 13, the second part of verse 37 to 38, he says, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, Jesus. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the wicked one. And so we have this idea that in this world that we are now living in, God has sown His sons and his daughters, the sons and daughters of the kingdom. But also we are sown into the fields of the enemy, and likewise, even within the fields to which God has sown us, the enemy has sown his seeds as well, the, 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 the sons of the wickedness. So the idea is quite clear. Jesus is not, he, he, he's talking about you and me, but there's, he's calling us up to understand it in the context of his own life, that Jesus himself was sown into the world as a grain of wheat to ultimately die in order to bring forth an abundant harvest of life. That's John 12, 24. Lest a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it produces a great harvest. So too, he sows you and I as the sons of his kingdom, the sons and daughters in his family, into the world to do the same. That we may give up our own lives, our own agendas, our own dreams even, and be willing to lay down our lives for Him and His glory to die to ourselves so that through us there can be a great harvest, great influence for the kingdom of God. Now, the word for son here is an interesting one. We in English have one word for son or for daughter, and we understand what that means. But the Greek has various meanings, and th there's a generally a comparison between two Greek words that are used when spoken of about son. The first one is technon, which is actually a child, so it could be son or daughter, and it speaks of somebody who's immature, somebody who's still a child, who still needs to be led, who still needs to be taught, who hasn't come into themselves yet, they, they, they're not able to function in any kind of authority or um, strong gifting of any kind, they're still a child. But the other one is the word hoyos, have I said that correctly? I hope so, hoyos. Eos, you see, I knew it was wrong, but I didn't know what the right one was. See, that's why we need each other, folks. Eos, I never would have come up with that from the spelling. All right, and the word eos can be used to mean either son or daughter, but it denotes a state of maturity and of clear identity. Now, if we kind of parcel that, in what we've been sharing up to this point concerning what it means to be a part of the church, to be a family, it means I found a place of belonging, I found a place of identity that I know who I am, I know whose I am, and I know who I am meant to be me with. The most outstanding characteristic of this Eos, the son is, or daughter, is that they are the embodiment or the represent, they are able to accurately represent their family. They carry within themselves, in who they are, the value system, the ways and the means of doing things. 
I mean, if you think of your family, I think of just myself and my sister. We are from the same mom and dad, but now we've married different people. And although our lifestyles at home are very similar, there are certain things that are different. And we see it not so much in ourselves, but in our kids. Her kids represent their home perfectly because they're raised in it. It's natural to them. My kids represent my home. They're a lot noisier and louder. They obviously get that from their mother. (laughs) But here's the point that we need to catch. Jesus was the ultimate and the accurate representation of his father. So when we begin to understand this and associate and link ourselves with this understanding and this principle like Jesus does, we understand the weight of responsibility but also the glorious privilege that Jesus has placed on every one of us as his ecclesia. He has called us out from the world to be like him, like the Father. There was a time where Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, said to him in John 14 from verse 8, he said, Lord, show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you've not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does these works. Believe me that I am of the Father, and uh, that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. And this whole idea of me being in the Father and the Father being in me that Jesus is speaking about is the exact relationship that He has brought every one of us into. Amen? That Jesus lives in our hearts. And we, as we even sung this morning, in my Father's house, there's a place for me. It's not speaking of a physical mansion and there's a nice room with a gabled bed. No, it's speaking of a place in the the house of the Father is a place in His heart. I am in Him. And He is in me. And there's this oneness and this complete unity so that I, like Jesus, can be the accurate representation of His heart to the world around me. Jesus went on to say, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these, because I go to my Father. You see, he takes it one step further. He says, the works that I'm doing, the same way I'm living life, you will live life. And the things that I do, you will do. And even greater works than these. We listen to a statement like that by Jesus and we realize, folks, we haven't come into the revelation of that truth. I haven't. I have in a measure. But certainly, I have room to grow. I think for so many of us, this is like a cliche. It's something that we know that it's there and it's true, but the reality of it and the truth of it, as it's worked out in you and my lives, folks, there's room for us to grow into that. And this is the real realization that I believe the Lord is is breathing over us in this time. It's a call to say there is so, so much more. You have what you have because you're satisfied with what you've got. But I have so much more that I want to do for you. 
And these works that Jesus speaks of, this is what he said to me this morning. It blew my mind. He said, they're not external tasks, but they're manifestations of a new reality. Wow, what does that mean? You see, so often, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, that thing, that line of, you're going to do the same works that I did, and you're going to do even greater works than these, what I hear is miracles, and raising the dead, and praying for the sick, and opening blind eyes, and, and forgiving, and all of these things. And did Jesus mean that? Yes. But my natural bent, I don't know about you, is to say, then that means there's something I've got to do. And as soon as, I'm, as, soon as that's my departure point, I end up in the flesh because there's something I have to now do. And what Jesus said to me this morning is that these things are not works that you need to go and do. There are works to do, but those works are not for you to go and manufacture because you can't. You haven't got the stuff. Those works will be the manifestation of an awareness of my presence in your life. They're the manifestation or the natural result or, for a better word, the fruit of a life that is truly in me and I am in it. And it's a natural outworking. Jesus in John 15 spoke about the vine and the grapes. And he says that if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will produce much fruit. And I, I, I like the analogy that of a vine. If you go and stand in a vineyard, we're all from the Cape. We have vine, vine, vine vineyards. Oh, vine vineyards. We've got vineyards all around us. The idea of vineyards straining to produce fruit is, is silly. You don't sit in the vineyard and hear a vine going, there's a grape. Three more. We're doing well today. There's no effort in it. It becomes a natural outworking. A natural outworking. Jesus goes on to say, this. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Who will do? He will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus is saying that in the same way that I have lived and represented my Father, I have looked to Him and I have followed Him, you will do the same. And he, he's not too big on setting limitations here, is he? He's encouraging us to think big. He's encouraging us to go beyond ourselves. He carries on in the same train of thought, and he says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then he says this, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. That word is significant. Why? Because an orphan is somebody who has no place and no belonging. They have no mother. They have no father. They may have a caregiver. But they've not been adopted. My best friend and his wife adopted a child. And every year on her birthday, the tradition is, Dad, will you tell me the story again? And every year on her birthday, and sometimes when they're just walking around, every now and then she'll say, Dad, would you tell me the story again? 
And as she gets older, they tell her more and more of this story. And what is this story? The story is how there was a mom and a dad who wanted a child. They longed for somebody to love. And how God brought a child to them that they could adopt and make their own and could give their lives to and could love. And you may think this child might have a chip on her shoulder because she's adopted. She loves the story about how she found home. She found a mom and a dad who love her. An orphan is somebody who has no clear identity because they have no family. An orphan is somebody who has no inheritance. And because of that, they have to do everything by themselves for themselves because nobody else is going to do it for them. We live in a world where orphan thinking is the prevailing value system. And we celebrate it. I did it my way. Great song. Tugs on the feels. But it puts me at the center of it all, where I've got to do it. I've got to make it happen. This world celebrates self-made men. You know what? God gets no glory from a self-made man. (laughs) And the travesty is this. The self-made man has gone as high and as far as he can go, but he can never go to the heights that God intends for him. Wow. These are incredible truths. Book of Romans, Paul writes, chapter 8, verse 15, You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Daddy. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God, and if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may be glorified together. We are heirs. Heirs of what? We are heirs of the very life of God. Heirs of the very Holy Spirit, the living and breathing person of God within us, along with all His power, with all His wisdom, with all His grace, with all, his, his, with all that He is. What would our lives look like if this was a reality to us? We'd not struggle with any kind of insecurity at all. We would be unafraid and bold, even in the midst of ridicule and mock and mockings for the name of Jesus. We would walk in such wholeness and generosity, unoffendable, giving grace and love and mercy, walking around like Jesus, saying, Father, forgive them, they don't know what you're doing. We wouldn't have to prove anything to anyone. And therefore, we would be free of what people's perceptions of us are. We're free of what people may think of us. And because of that, I am happy to get down and wash people's feet and do the dirty work that no one else wants to do because, you know, that's for the... What would our lives look like if this was a true reality and has so gripped us that it moved us beyond ourselves? This is what it means to be the church It means that we would look like Jesus. Writing to the Galatians, 
Paul said to them in chapter 4, Now I say that an heir, which is you and me, an heir of God, we just read that, right? An heir, as long as he is a child, as long as he's a babe, as long as he's immature, he does not differ from a slave, though he is the master of all, but he is placed under guardians and stewards until the appointed time or the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. It's a gender-neutral word. <laughs> That's popular these days. I didn't realize, but it's true. It brings us into the position of sons. They use the word sons because we need to understand the context that they're speaking in. Lineage and inheritance flow down through the sons. But in God, there is neither male nor female. We all receive the inheritance of Christ. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts. We have the same thing here. Crying out, Daddy, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, an heir of God through Christ. What Paul is drilling down on here, is, and, and what I believe God is, is trying to communicate to us, is that everything we've been sharing over the past few, not just weeks, but months, it all resonates and it all has to do with your identity. It is the realization that we are the sons and daughters of God, that we carry His heart within us. And therefore we think the thoughts of God, and we pray the prayers of God, and we do the works of God. Remember we looked back a little while ago at some of the words that have been coming from, from this pulpit of late. You're not just a pretty face. Pastor Andreas ministered to us about the greatness that is within us, the greatness of God, the greatness of His power. We spoke about moving beyond the cliches of what the Word of God says and into the reality of those things because they are ours and they belong to us. And concerning this series, Jesus said, Matthew 16, 18, I say to you, Peter, that on this rock I will build my church, the ecclesia. But then he doesn't just end there and he says this, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. In other words, the systems and the ways of this world will not be able to withstand the power of the kingdom, the grace and the love of this kingdom. It is overwhelming. The very next verse, Jesus says this, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Keys represent authority. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The Passion Translation is slightly different, but it explains it more accurately. It gives us a clearer understanding. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom realm to forbid on earth which is forbidden in heaven and to release on earth that which is released in heaven. You see, folks, this is not about striving to do. This is about the freedom to be who God has made you and I to be. It's the freedom to choose His kingdom ways and to live them out. It's the freedom to bring these things into our experiential reality. In my relationship with my wife and with my children and in my home. In my workplace. In my school. Wherever it is that God has blessed me with relationships and influence, I am blessed to be able to choose another kingdom. 
and to bring the force and the power and the influence of the love and the overwhelming grace of that kingdom to bear in my situation, the healing in that kingdom to bear. That's why Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. What does that mean? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our understanding of being a child of God needs to move beyond the image of a little child on the lap of their father. That's a wonderful image to have. Every one of us needs to have those encounters. I don't know about you, I've had them many times where God's love is just so overwhelming that I feel like a little boy on the lap of my father and he's holding me tight and he's speaking his love over me. Those experiences are precious and I don't belittle them. But we also need to grow up to be men and women who are the sons of God that are not just curled up on His lap needing His affection and His affirmation but are walking in the good, the realization of that affection and that affirmation. Yes, we need God's affection all the time. Yes, we need God's affirmation all the time. But there's a difference between somebody who's sitting on his lap going, please affirm me because I'm insecure. Please tell me you love me because I, I've forgotten or I feel unworthy versus somebody who knows that he is loved, somebody who is whole in and of themselves and are able to walk out there into the world in the grace of those moments, in the fullness of the revelation that where I go, I am a child of God Almighty. And I carry the greatness of His presence within me. And therefore, I don't need to shirk or be afraid of anyone. I am loved. And my Father affectionately cares for me. I'm sure of this. We need to see ourselves as His representatives and the responsible trustees of His kingdom influence in this world. An example that I thought of is, if any of you have ever lived in a block of flats or in a housing complex, you will have what is called a board of trustees. These are people who are responsible for the management or the governing of that complex. They're not responsible for the behavior of every resident, but they are responsible to make sure that things are kept clean and tidy, that the, 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 the units are painted, that the water is working and the sewerage systems are on, that the gardens are neat and tidy, that the electricity... They're responsible for managing the finances and the income to spend them and to manage them responsibly and not to squander them. They are trustees. They have the responsibility. And that is how you and I should view ourselves in this world. Let me close with how the Apostle Paul put it in chapter 3 of Ephesians, verses 8 to 10. He says, Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen. I was chosen, he says. You see, Paul knew what he was called to do. I want to say to you today, you are chosen. You are chosen by God, uniquely. You are chosen, and you are sown. You are not in your workplace by chance. But you've been chosen to be there. 
to introduce that place to the Father heart of God. Let me, let me just finish the scripture. I was chosen to explain to everyone the mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display His wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You see, the outstanding characteristic of Christ and of Paul is that they became the embodiment of the Father heart of God wherever He led them. As sons, they could be fathers. What do I mean by this? John 3.16, it's a scripture we're all so familiar with. It says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Amen? His Son, who was his, the perfect representation of His love, life, power, and nature. Now, you and I have become the sons of God. And we need to leave our house and enter our workplaces in the, in the morning with the same mentality that Jesus had. God so loves this company that He gave it me. And I don't mean that in some kind of arrogant way that you're God's gift to mankind. But in some ways, you are God's gift to mankind. Jesus was God's gift to mankind because He was willing to lay His life down. And to the degree that we are willing to do the same, we can partake in the same work of Jesus. That we can go into our workplaces looking for opportunities to manifest the kingdom, looking for ways to humble ourselves and show grace and kindness, to provide and to give graciously. I believe the Lord is... He's invited us into such a rich and a wonderful adventure. The adventure of the kingdom of His love. And I believe that there's something inside of every single one of us that longs to get on board. Some of us are withholding because we are, we're afraid, we're, we're timid of what might happen. Some of us are afraid of what we might lose. Some of us are insecure in our relationship with God. We haven't had a, a revelation of the greatness of His love or the completeness of His forgiveness yet. Some of us are just being too hard on ourselves and don't feel like we could ever measure up. Well, the truth is you couldn't and neither can I, and that's why we need Jesus. But would you stand with me this morning? Because I, I believe that the Lord is wanting to, to ask us to deal with those areas of our hearts would you stand, please, that, that, that hold us back to deal with, with whatever it is that either, it may be unwillingness. But Lord, as we're here in your presence this morning and as we've been hearing your word and this, this glorious invitation that you've made us your sons and daughters and you've filled us with your love and with your life, we acknowledge, Father God, that though we know that in our heads we experience so little of the reality and the greatness of what that, what that means. And I want to pray, Father, this morning the same prayer that, that 
Paul prayed for the church in, in Ephesus. I'm, I'm reminded of that as we, as we wait in your presence here, Lord God. I want to pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of who you are. I pray, Father, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we may know what is the hope of your calling and what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints and the exceeding greatness of your power towards us who believe. I want to pray, Lord Jesus, that you would dwell in our hearts through faith and that we, being rooted and grounded in love, would be able to comprehend what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of God which passes knowledge that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Father, forgive us for being satisfied with so little. Forgive us, Lord God, for so often resorting to token Christianity. Thank you that you are making us more like you, Jesus. Thank you that we are not orphans without hope, but that we are your sons and daughters, created in your image and likeness, to know and enjoy your love and to share it with the world around us. Lord, I pray that you would create in us such a longing to be conduits of your love to others, that we would go about our days looking for opportunities to speak encouragement, to speak grace, to serve and to show love, that we may be Christ to the places you have placed us and sent us. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of your church, my Lord God. And thank you also for the realization that this is not a vacation club, but that we are the body of Christ, the army of the Lord, advancing your kingdom through acts of love and kindness. Help us to find our place. Give us wisdom and grace that we may each play our role for the advancement of your kingdom, that lives may come into your kingdom, that the lost may be saved. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.